the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely. All together worthy. All together come to you today in fear and trembling. I want to share some things with you today and tomorrow that are earth-shaking. I have, at the beginning of my time on radio, felt it was very difficult because I could not see you and you could not see me then. I didn't do YouTube streaming. I still cannot see you. I received a a beautiful Christmas card from one dear sister, if I can find it quickly. No, I don't know what I did with it. But it says... I wish I could meet you in person. 
I feel that way too. I wish I could meet each one of you in person. We have to deal with this gospel of Jesus Christ. And something happened in the early 1900s, 1906, 1907, 1910. Out of the Azuzu revival, it was a great revival. God moved with such power. Thunder and lightning, changing men's hearts, healing the sick, restoring. It was amazing what God did. But there was a twist that came into that revival that almost assures us that revival will not come to America again. A belief was brought forth and adopted by major churches like the Assemblies of God out of that Azuzu Street, Durham, Brother Durham, that twisted the gospel of Jesus in such a way that it would be almost impossible to have another revival in America because the theological beliefs stand in direct opposition to revival. Now, this really comes back to a very key issue. I'm not going to deal with all the theological issues today. I'm going to deal with something much more basic. And that is that words have meaning. Words have meaning, especially when they're connected with actions. And pride often follows words. Words express things and then pride follows. And pride goeth before a fall. I'm very grateful that over these last years forty some years I'm very grateful that I have been incognito as I've done over these last twenty years this radio broadcast in Washington DC. The Lord has kept me very much hidden away where I'm not seen. I'm very grateful for that. It's almost impossible for a pastor to stand before a congregation, especially one that's growing, one that's successful. It's almost impossible for that pastor to have a humble heart before God. He becomes full of himself and his own plans and his board and his building and his fame and his books and his magazines and his his jets, and it becomes really ugly. Men filled with pride cannot be used in a significant way by God. And so in America, we have much that's been built called the church in the flesh. And there's no presence of God there. So they substitute for the presence of God with a band and with modern, peppy music. And they call that the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit, it's the anointing of darkness. You cannot have 
in most instances any serious conviction for sin and righteousness and have 30 to 45 minutes of of fast worship music. It just, they don't go together. So I come with fear and trembling lest my heart be filled with pride and God deal with me. He has dealt with me year after year by keeping me in obscurity, by boxing me into a place of time out, keeping me from any significant public scene. I'm praising his name for this. I'm very grateful. I don't want to be seen. I want to be hidden away. I don't want to be on the platform of the mega church. I've been there. There was no presence of God that satisfied and ministered to my soul there. I want Jesus and him crucified. We're so full today of what we know, and yet it's what we know that has caused the Holy Spirit to leave the modern church. It's what we know in our rituals and our theological understandings that do not match Scripture. Oh, we think they match Scripture, and we make sure we say that boldly, but they really don't. They're lies. So I want to share with you today to begin to set a stage for what I need to say to you out of Matthew, the 21st chapter. Jesus has come into the temple and he's teaching, he's healing, he's restoring. And the priests and the elders come to him and they say to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus answers, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. If you will tell me, um, was John the Baptist, was his baptism, where was it from? Was it from heaven or was it from men? So the priests and elders take a minute among themselves to to talk about their strategy in answering Jesus. And in Matthew 21, verse 25, so they were reasoning among themselves, saying, if we may say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we may say from men, we fear the multitude, for they consider John as a prophet. And having answered Jesus, they said, we don't know. He said to them, well, neither do I tell you by what kind of authority I do these things. And then he tells them a parable, a series of parables. We're going to deal with these this week. He said, what do you think? A man had two sons. And after having approached the first, he said, son, you must go work in my vineyard today. 
and then having answered, he said, I will not. But later, having regretted what he had said, he went. Having approached the second son, he said likewise, and this son answered, Yes, sir, I will go. But he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of the father? And they said to him, The first. Well, going to work in the vineyard is hard, dirty, sweaty work. It's hoeing out the weeds. It's pruning the the vines. It's checking for blight and cutting out the blight if there be such. It's hot, dirty work. And the first son, he already had things he wanted to do that day. So when his dad says, you must go to the vineyard and work today. We need you there. And he answers, I'm not going to do that. No. He says, a grown man living in his father's house? He's, no, I'm not going. But then later, he regretted what he had said to his dad, and he said, yes, I'm going to go, and he went. The second son, he quickly answered, oh, yeah, no problem, I'll go. But he didn't go. See, this is the problem with words. Words without actions are empty. I can't tell you how my heart has been grieved by men and women who say to me, Pastor, I'll see you on Sunday at church. We want to come. And then they don't show up. Or they say to me, Pastor, I want to send an offering. And I'm going to send it regularly for for the broadcast, and then they don't. I never hear from them. Or they say to me, Pastor, I so appreciate you. Thank you so much. But then their actions reveal that they never put into practice what was said, and it grieves my heart. Jesus is looking for men and women who will, who will do what they say they will do. Not men and women who say, oh yes, I like, I like that. I'll be there. Count on me, pastor. And then they're gone. Or a man says to me, pastor, we consider you part of our family. We praise God for you. Thank you. We love you. Our family loves you. And then they become disgruntled, as one old-timer said. Don't trust in the words of men. Trust only in the word of God, because one day everything will be fine, and the next day everything will be upside down, because suddenly they've had some new revelation from God, and off they go. And somehow now you who have taught them and been a father to them, now you're nothing. Now you're cast aside. You're no longer part of the family. You're out, man. It's over. That's happened to me so many times. I understand. I'm not angry about it. I forgive them. And I, I hold no grudges. 
but I tremble with fear at the lying words spoken by men and the lying words that I too have spoken. I want to speak truth words, words that have action behind them. The purpose of my coming to do this broadcast day by day is not to in any way be controversial. I have one purpose, and that is to get you on the right side of God. That is to secure your salvation for eternity. Now, those words are not cheap. There's great depth in them, and after this broadcast today, and I urge you, don't just plug in and then bail out. Come in here and stay and hear something that will be shocking to you, but who, through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, can wash you and make you clean and save your soul. I'm not here as entertainment. I'm here for a very serious purpose. Words have meaning. As you recall, in the early 1900s, I've spoken many times about what happened at Azusa Street. A man came from Chicago, a very well-educated, a very bright man, a very articulate, charismatic preacher. He wanted this Pentecost baptism, and so he came to Azusa Street to receive that baptism, and he did receive it. But then this man, Durham, when William Seymour was out of town preaching on the East Coast, which he had no business doing, by the way, Azusa Street was powerful, and the Holy Spirit was moving in that place until he decided he needed to go travel. As long as he kept his head down, humbled his heart, the power of God was moving. But when he became important and sought after and went to those big venues where he could be praised, Azusa Street collapsed. And in that place of weakness and death, this man Durham showed up from Chicago with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and he took over Ozuzu Street. But he took over with a new doctrine called the finished work. Now his followers would twist that and we have now in the Assemblies of God and in other churches that did not directly come out of Azuzu Street but came rather out of the ministry of Brother Durham. The followers twisted his teaching and it was easily twisted to mean that you could continue walking in sin and still be saved as the Assemblies of God Church believes. But I want to read for you a portion of a book by uh, Frank Bartleman, who was one who gave us in print 
great understanding of what happened in that Azuzu revival. And then he speaks about Durham. Now, I do need to say that the controversy stirred up by Brother Durham, he was very aware of what he was doing. And it caused great conflict and it divided the Pentecostal movement. It separated God's people. And you know anything that is going to bring great separation in the people of God who are earnestly seeking revival, who are earnestly seeking the Lord, who are who are walking clean before God, when you cause division among those people, you're facing a great crisis. And I'll just tell you now ahead of time before I read this that Brother Durham paid for his dividing the people of God with his life. The Lord took his life at a very young age. He was told he would die because of what he had done by another man by the name of Parham. And very quickly... Brother Durham died. Now, the reason I said to you I'm coming with fear and trembling and that words have meaning is that we today do not have the presence of God among us in any great measure because our words have not been followed by actions. And part of why our words have not been followed by actions is because of Durham's teaching and then his followers twisting it and incorporating it into a different theological structure that would allow Christians to think that they were on their way to heaven even though they were not sanctified fully as Brother Durham said he was. So let me just read this. This is page 214 of, of the book entitled How Pentecost Came to Los Angeles, The Story Behind Azuzu Street Revival by Frank Bartleman, who was a key part of that whole revival movement, both at Azuzu Street and at other locations, and finally as a world traveler, preaching this Pentecost message across the world. He wrote, Brother Durham wrote the following observations on the work sometime before he died, which are of such vital importance, I feel led to reproduce them. And so this is now what Brother Durham wrote. A great crisis is now on. Men do not see the plan of God in the present Pentecostal movement, that is, what was happening specifically out of Azuzu. Such a complete revolution is necessary that it staggers them. They are unwilling to see that which they have labored so hard to build up thrown down. But before God's plans can be carried out, men's plans must be set aside. God, having set aside all the plans of men, is beginning to work after his own plan. God is revealing his plan to so many that they will never consent to having the present work turned into a sect. 
God's people are simply not going to be led into the snare of human organization again. God has poured out his spirit again that Jesus may be glorified. All past movements have resulted in the promotion to positions of honor of one or more men. The present movement will honor and exalt Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit always exalts Jesus and his precious blood as he is exalted and faithfully preached. God is restoring the old-time power, but it is not restored yet. Not seeing the plan of God, men have not met the conditions and therefore have not received all God has for them by a great deal. Many have run ahead of God. Now, these words give us an indication of the inner desire of this man, Durham's heart. He loved the Lord Jesus. But I'm going to show you that as he moved forward and God spoke to him a very specific word, his pride, his arrogance stood in his way. His accomplishments as a pastor, his fame as a pastor, his following as a pastor destroyed his heart with Jesus and caused Jesus to judge him and take his life. His life was forfeit. This is why I say I come in fear and trembling. You can go off in the flesh and do great things and call it church. You can build a mega church. It's not hard. The strategy is very simple. When I employed it, I was extremely successful. 300 members in the first year of a new church. And we were on our way to greatness until God came to me and said, this isn't my church, this is your church. If you want me, close it. And I had to close it. And that began really 10 years of almost total isolation and homelessness, losing home and retirement, car, losing everything financially, as well as the church. That's why I come in fear and trembling, because when you really begin to get serious with Jesus, and you begin to honestly pursue him, your words have great meaning before God. And if you play with him, like Ananias and Sapphira did, like Brother Durham did, it cost you your life. It's frightening that so many pastors in the last two years have died in America. Some denominations have lost large numbers of their pastors. The Lord has simply taken them with COVID, with heart attacks. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And we're at a point in history 
where God is going to begin to move again, and he is going to remove those who stand in the way of his coming in power. Now, it's almost impossible, but with God, all things are possible. It's almost impossible because the church has adopted the teachings of men. Theologically, they've adopted the teachings of men like you don't have to stop sinning. You you can be saved. You're saved. Once saved, always saved. These are these are false teachings that block the way of God to bring about revival in America. I'm very concerned. And I'm very humbled before a mighty God. I'll continue reading what Durham had to say. Shortly after God filled me, his spirit rested mightily upon me. And he said to me one morning, if you were only small enough, I could do anything with you. A great desire to be little, yea, to be nothing, came into my heart. But it's been, oh, so hard to keep low enough for him to really work through me. And he only uses me, really, when I am little in my own eyes and really humble at his feet. When I feel that I must do something, he always lets me fail. But when I stay at his feet and feel that I am nothing and that he is all, and so just trust him, he does his work in such a beautiful way that it is wonderful to me. God is not trying to build up something else or to do something for men that will make them great and mighty, but rather to bring all men to naught, to do the work through the power of the Holy Spirit. The call of God to his people now is to humble themselves, to recognize their weakness and lack of power, and to get down before him and wait till his power is restored. The great question is, will men see the plan of God and yield to it? Will men get down in humility at Jesus' feet and pray and wait till he restores his full Pentecost power? Or will they continue to run ahead of him and fail in the end? Let God's people everywhere see his plan and begin to seek in deep and true humility. Then he will reveal himself and his plans to them. One man with the real power of God upon him can do more than a thousand who go on their own account. Only those who are true and loyal to God in his present-day message will share in this great victory. The company who really humble themselves and stand the test God will use to do his work. William H. Durham It was shortly after this that pride totally took over William H. Durham. And no longer did he did he wait on God. But he came bitter and angry. He began to accuse the brethren. 
He divided the work of God. He brought into disrepute the work of Azusa Street. He, in fact, even tried to lock Brother Seymour out of his own church. He forced a public vote in the Azusa Street over, do you want me or do you want Pastor Seymour back? And the people all said, we want you, almost all of them. And basically, that was the end of Azusa Street. Some other things happened, but the work was so divided, split. This man that I'm reading, Frank Bartle, had been invited and regularly sat on the platform at Durham's mission where he went and rented a big church and Brother Bartleman would go to minister there. But as this all began to happen, he said, I can't be a part of this. And when he walked away from the platform and would no longer sit behind William Durham, William Durham cut him off and counted him among his enemies. It was shortly after this that Brother William Durham died. Somewhere about the age of 40. Just at the very height of his ministry. But God judged him. It was pride. He was very much in the public eye. Everybody was talking about what he was doing and what he was saying. I'm very grateful that that's not happening with me. To be very honest, I think success in a public forum would have destroyed me. I think pride would have taken over my life. I pray now that I can always be obscure and unseen, unknown. Do the broadcast. Minister the word of God as he allows me to. But to walk before him in great humility, in fear and trembling. So I come to you in fear and trembling saying words have meaning. And if the actions behind those words are filled with pride, God will bring you down to the bottom and he will humble your heart. Unless, of course, you're not really connected to the true work of God, but you're just a cultural phenomena and then he'll let your pride last quite a while. But God is getting ready to judge the American church and to judge America. And we do well to humble our hearts before him and to not stand in our pride. 
not try to be somebody. But to seek instead of being the front, to be the back. Instead of being first, to be the tail. I've read a little book. I refer you to it. It's entitled The Rejected Blessing, an untold story of the early days of the Pentecostal movement by Pastor Brother Jim Kerwin. That's K-E-R-W-I-N. I have a well-worn copy of it. I would invite you to also find it You can find it on the internet. Just Google Jim Kerwin's name and his websites will pop up. He has a kernel of wheat website and he has some other websites. And the book, by the way, is free online. You can download it as a PDF file. It tells the the story of, of the lost blessing of a pure heart and a pure mind and the destruction that the American church walked into when they rejected the message of Azusa Street. So we've had some things, some starts at revival, but then pride has overtaken it, and it has become corrupt, and God judged it and cast it down. I'm going to share with you tomorrow some actual accounts of what the revival looked like and and other men who walked in revival power. It's not entertaining. It's not pretty. I remember... One man tried to start a revival. And the Lord said to me, he's using a a clicker, you know, the kind you use to start your, turn your fireplace on and off, a gas fireplace. He said, he thinks he can just push his button and I'll show up and then push his button and I'll disappear. The big Revival was announced. It was publicized. And I was directed by the Lord to not do as they asked. They asked me to come sit on the platform and be among the leading pastors in the community. And the Lord said no. So I went to the revival, but I stayed outside. And I walked around and around the huge facility that was held in, praying and weeping and asking, Lord, to please come and to change what was happening. The pastor who was leading it and his his wife came out and saw me walking around the church and came to me with another elder and said, Pastor, would you please come in and sit on the platform with us? I said, no, I can't. The music was rolling and 
Everyone was excited and dancing and shouting, and it was all flesh. There was no Holy Spirit. I won't describe all that happened to me that evening, but there was a very strong demonic presence that I could visibly see with my physical eyes. And of course, that meeting was a total failure and it was never repeated. And that man disappeared. And revival's not talked much about anymore. Do you see how serious this issue is? The church in America is going to be swept away with all of our rituals and all of our our words that have no meaning. I've sat in a number of different denominations in their churches and I've listened to the pastors speak with such eloquence. But then I say, what did he say? What did he mean? And I have to answer, I don't know. I was not able to perceive the meaning of what he was saying. I wasn't able to connect it with any actions. If words do not connect with actions, they are meaningless and empty. Pardon me. I come and I speak these words to you. They have to have meaning. And they have to result in in either you're blowing them off or else you're going before God and getting serious about the words that you've spoken or have not spoken and making a decision. Will you go after God or won't you? Fence-sitting is not going to work any longer. You've got to make a decision about what you're going to do with Jesus because his judgments are about to be poured out on this nation. We're going to see a financial collapse. There's going to be hunger and starvation. We're going to see things that we've never dreamed of seeing in America before. And in the midst of all of that, I'm not going to talk about what I'm seeing and the trauma. I'm going to talk about Jesus because he is the only way. He said, my body is real food and my blood is real drink. Do you feast on Jesus? Have you made your peace with Jesus? Or are you still walking in the arrogance of your own mind with words saying whatever you happen to feel, but there's no real meaning to your words. There's no actions that accompany your words. Without actions, there's no meaning. I would that you would either say you hate Jesus 
and you serve the powers of darkness or that you love Jesus and you honestly serve him. Don't tell me, oh, I love Jesus. And then your actions say you love the world, the flesh, and the devil. What a, what a wicked thing to do. And God's judgment will fall upon you. We must repent. Our words must take on meanings. We must understand that we will face a judgment before the bar of God. All religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, Shintoism, Mohammedism, Islam, Christianity, they all lead to the same place. They lead directly to the judgment bar of God. And there we will face the reality of, of our situation and whether our words had meaning. So do you say you love Jesus but continue to walk in sin? Do you say that you've been born again but you still follow the course of your own desire, looking at what you want to look at, talking the way you want to talk, going where you want to go, living like the world? Or do you say, I love Jesus, and he's everything to me? And you cut off the wickedness of this world, and you've repented of ungodliness. And you've repented of pride and arrogance and hardness of heart. You've repented of bitterness and anger. You've made restitution. You've given back to those you stole from. Do you still owe people money? Did you lie to people when you said you would pay them back? Have you stolen? Some of you have shoplifted. Have you made restitution? Some of you have had abortions. Have you repented for murdering your baby? Have you repented? Not just felt sorry. I'm saying, did you repent? Have you turned against that wickedness and you've put everything in the hands of Jesus? Tomorrow we're going to go further with this. I want you ready to meet the new year. I want you to hear the word of God for the new year. And I'll tell you right now what the word of God is for this new year. Repent. Change your behavior. Turn aside from your wickedness. Get real. Speak words that have meaning. Say what you mean and mean what you say and be responsible for what you say. 
Don't say, I'm going to read the Bible in the new year and then not read it. Don't say, I'm going to pray in the new year and then not pray. Don't say, I'm going to go to the National Prayer Chapel and then not go. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Don't say, I'll call you, and then you not call. Let your words have meaning. Stand on the truth in the new year. Because the judgments of God are going to be poured out on America in this new year and on the church. Many churches are going to go bankrupt. They're going to lose their properties. I just saw a GoFundMe advertisement for a a large, beautiful church building that is being sold to the Muslims for Islamic Center. In my area close to where I live, a beautiful Presbyterian church was turned into an Islamic mosque. Islam is spreading like wildfire. While Christians, who don't mean what they say, are being pushed out. So make a decision. I would that you were either a servant of the devil or a servant of Jesus Christ. But not a lukewarm American. That is, without a doubt, the most wicked and dangerous position that you can adopt. Now let's pray. Lord, I come making a covenant with you to say what I mean and to mean what I say. That I humble my heart before you and I will use every ounce of energy I have, every dollar I have, every ounce of strength I have to be used by you, Jesus, to build your kingdom. But I ask that you would keep me humble and break every bone of pride in my body. That you would not have to take my life like you did William Durham's or Ananias and Sapphira's. Lord, I pray for your church today. I pray for every person who's listening to this broadcast that they would stop sitting on the fence, that they would either go serve the devil or come and serve you. You said you'd rather we be hot or cold, that you were going to vomit us out of your mouth as lukewarm. Lord, we're in danger now of you vomiting us out. I'm asking, Lord, that you would move in every person's heart and either confirm them to hell or confirm them to heaven and move in our hearts. I ask for the salvation of your church. I ask for the power of revival to flow once more 
breaking the lie that we can walk in our sin and still be saved. Lord, come with mighty power. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Ray Greenley. I'm from the National Prayer Chapel, a small house church. We're nobody. If you'd like to come and be nobody with us, then we'd welcome you to come and be nobody with us. We just come to worship the Lord and and to be honest with him about our hearts, to pray and to wait before him. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. We stream live on YouTube and we also broadcast live on WAVA, 780 AM in the Washington metro area. I want to thank each of you who participated in covering the cost for December. By God's grace, it is covered. The money is deposited in the bank. And I will write a check out of your gifts to cover the cost for December's radio. So now we're starting January in just a very short amount of time like to invite you to be a part of giving and helping us carry this ministry on. I know it needs to be national, take a great deal of money, but I know the Lord can do anything. If it's not my voice, then it needs to be another to confront America with sin and revival, repentance. I love you all. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.